Hey there, this is Bo James, and on behalf of the Wix Church of the Nazarene, I just want to say thank you for joining us. I believe there is something for you in this message, and I pray that it will help you grow your faith. Enjoy. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest, he requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord had spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and afterward he ate some food and regained his strength. Lord, this is your word this morning, and it is alive and active with your Holy Spirit. And may your spirit go to every person in this room and and those beyond, Lord, in our um, online family. And Father, may it speak your holy truth today in Jesus' name. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. We used to sing that with the teens, and if you didn't recognize the tune, Yelligan's Island. Isn't that the greatest version ever? I just did a special, Miss Diane. I just did a special. It won't happen often. You're, you're, you're all right. You know, I tried to think of ways, because I told Emily early on I wanted that song this week, because I, I just had that resonating, I once was blind, but now I see, going over and over in my mind. And I tried to think of ways to give examples 
what it feels like to be blind. Now, sure, we can all close our eyes and, and, and we can talk about being dark. And, you know, I, I thought of the many things I used to put teenagers through um, with this kind of lesson. But it's not the same. You see, I know there are a few of you in this room um, who maybe like me, you've had some kind of injury to your eye, and you understand what I'm talking about today when I talk about the absolute fear of losing your sight and how stressful that is when you're not sure if when the bandages come off, you're going to have sight. And I know, Montana, you, you, can, you can follow this train of thought with me um, because we've had eye injuries. When I was in fifth grade, uh, I got hit in the eye. A, a little boy skipped a rock across the river we were swimming in and, and hit me in the eye. Um, and, you know, I've told that story before. And, and, you know, a week's time, I didn't know when those bandages come off what the doctor was going to say. And that's a scary thing. You know, recently, a creator online um, that, that loves to make videos, within just a few days, she had a cancerous tumor that she did not know she had take over. And within just, and when I say a few, I'm talking three days or less, she lost total eyesight. Like she went from, wow, my, my vision is blurry today, let's go to the doctor, and the first doctor didn't really see, and, and, and within three days, she was totally blind. And they found the tumor, and by the time they found tumor and realized she had cancer, and they began to piece together her uh, plan of action, they gave her no guarantee of regaining that sight. And she made some of the most raw videos imaginable of that fear of Lord. She was just praying, Lord, you know that, because she's a, a creator, what you call a, an influencer, that that's how her money and that's just her life, videos and cameras and TV. And, and that was all going to be taken away because if you can't see your phone to know how to video. And she was so distraught. Now, praise God, they started her thing, her process and it began to shrink that tumor and slowly by slowly she has regained her sight. It's not perfect, but it's enough to. So there's no real illustration, you see, that I can give you this morning. There was no kind of game I could put you through to make you understand the true fear when you're facing losing your sight, when you don't know if it's going to come back. So we know Paul's story. If I, for those of you that have been in the church long enough, if I said Paul's Damascus Road experience, you know what I'm talking about. You know, that's where he lost his sight, he regained his sight, he believed in Jesus, he became a whole new man, right? But I want us to take a deeper look this morning at this story, because sometimes I think we so easily just, you know, it's just one of those stories, it's one of the good things we talk about in the Bible, right? After Stephen's death, I've been talking for a few weeks about this, and if you'll remember, Stephen was the first martyr, and after Stephen's death, the believers began to scatter. So last week we talked about Philip, remember, and how he went into other areas, and they scattered, remember, because they were fearing for their life, okay? It wasn't, hey, I've talked to the church board, and I want to go on this mission trip and, and share the gospel. No, they were fearing for their life, and I want you to go back to that moment when Stephen was stoned to death 
Saul was there. And if you'll remember, the scriptures told us he wholeheartedly approved of the death of Stephen. All right? I need you to to grasp a hold of the heart of who we're talking about. (laughs) All right? Saul was very intent on stopping this thing called the way. All right? He was he was all about putting a stop because they were threatening the Jewish religion. Now, some commentaries will talk about Saul and how Stephen's death changed Saul. And I don't know if I wholeheartedly agreed with that. I think it impacted him. You see, there's this little bit of difference. It, It made an impression on him, but here's the problem. Even when something impacts us, even when circumstance impacts us and makes an impression on us, we still have to choose how we react to that, right? We still make choices of what it does. And what I see in Saul is it just increased the anger, right? Because it told us in verse 1, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. It means this is all he could think about when he went to sleep. That's probably what he was dreaming about. He has went now into the, to the high priest to get this letter. In other words, he was getting the written permission to go to other synagogues to show he had the authority to arrest anyone he found when he got there. So yes, I, I believe that Stephen's death was impressed upon him, but it had not fully changed him yet. Because the deal is, when, when something begins, when someone begins to see the truth, and that's a capital T truth, that's God's truth, when it begins to rock our world a little bit about everything we believe, right? Because remember, it's not that Saul didn't believe in the Messiah, he just did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. Do you understand? He was, he was still a good Jewish Pharisee. He knew the Messiah would come. He just had not believed that Jesus was the one. But sometimes when people begin to see the truth of Jesus, it actually will make them fight harder for what they already believe in. Why? Because we don't like to lose control of the things we think we know. (laughs) When, When something you have been born and bred into your whole life feels like it is getting shaken apart, it stirred his anger even more. So he gets his paperwork, he heads out to Jerusalem. Now this, this uh, traveling to Damascus, I mean not Jerusalem, to Damascus, would have taken anywhere from four days to a week, depending on what path he chose to take. It's about 130 to 150 miles distance in between the two places. Okay, so this wasn't he just got up and did a day's walk and went to do business. No, he had a whole week of really stewing over this, of what he's going to do when he gets to Damascus. He had a a mission. That's what verse 3 said, that as he was approaching Damascus on this mission. Now, if I ask you what Saul's sin was, some of you may say, well, murder. He was out killing Christians, believers, right? And then if I ask you, are you as bad as Saul? 
I'm going to guarantee probably most are going to say no. But then we have to remember, remember when Jesus kind of turned the tables on us a little bit and he said, you know, you've heard that murder is a sin, but even if you're angry with your brother, then you're subject to the same judgment, right? When Jesus summed up the commandments, he gave us two things, right? Love God, love people. We have that on a nice little t-shirt. I'm in the process of trying to design a new t-shirt. I know we're, we're probably ready for a new one. But love God and love people. So in other words, though, we have to surrender our mission in life. We have to surrender our way so that we can follow his way. And that's really what we're seeing here with Saul. That is the struggle. You see, Saul was convinced that he was doing right by the Lord. He thought he was doing the Lord's work, right? By protecting the name of God. This whole Jesus thing, it's a blasphemy. So in his mind, his mission was holy. He was doing the right thing. Church, listen to me. We can be convinced that our mission is doing the Lord's work. Amen? Right? And that was Saul. Like, I think only Jesus himself was going to change his mind. And oh yeah, that's what happened. Look at verse 3 and 4 again. It says, as he approached the Damascus on this mission... A light from heaven suddenly shone down around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Do you know that those two verses gives me so much hope? So much hope for those, I saw several of you putting rocks in, and some of you, I know the stories, I know who you're praying for, some of you I don't, but I I know generalities of it. I want you to hear this today, church, out of this reading. God can reach anyone. Anyone. Anywhere. At any time. And it doesn't always happen at the bottom of a pit where we feel so helpless. Saul wasn't feeling helpless. Saul was a man of mission and purpose and life was as it should be. And Jesus showed up. Jesus himself showed up. That is how I've changed how I pray for people these days because there are people that we think are unreachable. We think they're hopeless. Like there's nothing I can say to get through to them. You're right. Only Jesus himself is going to change their mind. And I see the evidence that my Jesus can do that. That he can speak, whether it's through dreams and visions or a voice that nobody else knows where it's coming from. And I believe that even the worst of the worst, as we would call them, because, hey, let's, let's be honest, Saul is not somebody you're going to want to mess with. If you were a believer, he's the very reason they were scattering. 
Because ones like him are hunting them down. And it wasn't just to bring them in. It was going to be to kill them. Because that was going to be the only way to stop this movement, as they thought. So the worst of the worst. So this gives me so much hope. (laughs) That our loved ones and friends, that maybe we've talked to are blue in the face. (laughs) Maybe we've tried to reach out to the voice of reason. (laughs) We've shared over and over. Get this, Saul knew the scriptures. Everything in your Old Testament, Saul knew it. He knew God's word, but it took an encounter with Jesus Christ to change it. So whoever it is you're praying for this morning, that's your prayer. Jesus, I need you to speak to it. I need you to open eyes. I need you, Lord. You know, I hope you continue to piece together as we look at different pieces of Acts, that the true reality, when we talk about the church being persecuted, we know nothing about it. Because persecution was a life and death thing when I read it in my Bible. It wasn't just, well, they won't let me go to church. How many said that two years ago? Now look beside you, where are they? There's nothing stopping them. Persecution is life and death. When you have to make a choice, do I stand for Jesus or do I keep my mouth shut? Because I know if I stand for Jesus, it's life and death. It's it's a change in how everybody will look at me. Verse 5. When Saul said, Who are you, Lord? So he acknowledges, man, this is a great voice. This is a, you know, when I looked at the word Lord here, think more pre-resurrection when they talked to the Lord and how they talked to him as the rabbi, right? So still a place of honor. As a Pharisee, he would understand this. So he's still giving honor to this voice, but he says, who are you? Who are you? I am Jesus the one you are persecuting. Can you catch that for a moment? Every believer he has killed or imprisoned. You know, we often take offense like it's about us. Even when we know it's a spiritual attack, we think about how it affects us. Your spiritual attack is about An enemy who hates Jesus Christ, who hates God the Father. That's the persecution. We just happen to be the vessel of clay that's being attacked at that moment. And later Paul writes to us about that in Ephesians. Remember that it's not flesh and blood that we fight, right? It's a spiritual battle that we fight. And that's what he was making known to Saul that day. You're out here chasing people, thinking this is a people thing. You're persecuting me, Jesus said. You're chasing me, Jesus said. Now get this, up to this point, Saul may not have understood that he was blind yet. 
Okay? Because he has collapsed to the ground, probably closed his eyes. If, if you know anything about flash blindness, if you're a welder, you'll understand this concept of, of you know, what it, that bright light could have done. So eyes are closed. He may not realize just yet as he's listening to this voice from Jesus. But verse 8 says, when he stood up and opened his eyes, he realized he was blind. But church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something. Long before he opened those eyes, Saul was already blind. When we talk about, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. We're not talking physical sight. We're talking the blindness of your heart and your soul. Those that you are praying for and you think, why don't they get it? Because they're blinded. They don't yet see that they need Jesus. They don't yet see the hope that you and I know that is there in Jesus. They don't see with spiritual eyes. A lot of times in my prayer time, I ask God, let me see them the way you see, because you know what? I'm blinded by my knowledge of people. I'm blinded by my prejudices of people, right? And that's why we see some people as hopeless. Because we're looking at them through that lens of what we know they've done. God, let me see with your eyes. Remove the scales so I see this person through your eyes. He was already blind before that day. Now, now I love these, this next part with Ananias. So... He's blinded him. He has sent Saul on into Damascus. And then he goes to Ananias. Hey, Ananias. Yes, Lord. I love Ananias. He, Yes, Lord. What do you need? I, I need you to go over. There's, there's a guy over on Straight Street. And I'm sure Ananias is thinking, okay, okay. You know, when somebody's giving you directions, you're logging it in your mind. Got you over there. I, I know where you're talking about. I need you to go because Saul's over there. Whoa. But, Lord... How many of you ever said a butt lord? Butt lord. <laughs> Do you know who that is? <laughs> Do you know what they've done? Hmm. But lord. But lord, do you know who that is? That's Saul. Like, he hates us. Like, that's like Dog the Bounty Hunter showing up and you got a warrant, okay? But lord. But he says, I, I need you to go. And I love this. He says, because he's praying to me right now. You see, Ananias is looking what? With his vision. He can't see everything God is seeing. He can't see that Saul is over here praying. That God is already affecting his heart. And why does he send him? He said, because Saul is my chosen instrument. Lord, forgive us. For all the but lords, when we didn't obey, when they were your chosen instrument. A chosen instrument that could change an entire family. A chosen instrument that could change the community. A chosen instrument that could get called to the ministry and affect the world. Forgive us, Lord, for those moments. 
Church, we've passed judgment. We've deemed them hopeless or unreachable. But God was working in Saul's life already. Never doubt that. And then what did Peter say back in after Pentecost? Remember when we talked about the first sermon and and how did he tell them? He said, you need to repent, be baptized, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look Look at these verses. Verse 11, he's praying to me right now. He's repenting. He understands. He just met Jesus on that road and he just understood Jesus as the Messiah. And then on down in verse 17, it said that uh, Ananias come in, he laid hands on him, told him, you're going to gain your sight. And he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then on down in 18, it said, and then he got up and Saul was baptized. Repent, be baptized, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a message we see over and over and over in the book of Acts. I come across this sentence in one of my commentaries that said, Christians, see, I think we need this today because we, we somehow are losing what we think about what a Christian is. Listen to this. Christians are men and women who have ceased to do what they want to do and who have begun to do what Christ wants them to do. They surrender. They surrender everything about what I want to do in this life. We are only guaranteed, Mr. Leon's not here, so we know the average for most of us is well under 97 years. We're going to strive for that because I want that chair. I know some of you do. I know it has increased. I know y'all are eating healthier and exercising now because you want your own lazy boy someday in here, right? But we need to understand at whatever age, we only have so many years on this earth. And at some point, I hope you understand, it's not about the American dream. It's not. It's about the God dream. It's about the God dream. Because the American dream just gets left behind, fought over, sold off, whatever. That's, that's what's going to happen. That's the reality. But the God dream is a legacy that will go for generation after generation after generation. When you chase the God dream in your life, not just your kids and your grandkids that you see here today are affected, but the ones after them and the ones after them and the ones after them. Your land, your house, your money may or may not stick around. Because there's always somebody in the family that's going to burn through it as fast as they can. So that's not the legacy we want to live. But you see, we have this debate going on in the Christian world right now um, using all these adjectives. Are, are you a conservative Christian? Are you a progressive Christian? Are you liberal? Are you not? And, and, and you know, all of these adjectives. Church, let's drop the adjectives and let's be Christians again. Let's just be Christians again. And to be a Christian means there's a change in your life. 
Your agenda doesn't matter. Your wants doesn't matter. It's what God says. And every time I see somebody encounter Jesus, they leave a changed person. Or they say no to Jesus. They don't walk away with Jesus and still the same. Because he says, go and sin no more. There's a change in your life that happens. And if, if you can't tell me what that looks like, I once was this, but now I'm this. Then let's talk. Let's talk about surrendering. Because when we, when we look about like the conservative and, and the progressive, here's the, here's the debate. Conservatives say, oh, well, we got to make Christ-like disciples, right? We got to start discipling people, which changes people. And, and, but then you got progressive liberals that are over here. No, we got to love people because Jesus said, love God, love people. That's what we do. So who's right? Do we make disciples? Yes. Do we love God and love people? Yes. You see, it's not an either or. It's two pieces of the same puzzle. That's why we got to drop the adjectives. Are you a Jesus follower? That's what Christian means. Are you a Jesus follower? So let's get rid of adjectives. And, and yes, let's love people right where they are because let's not use our blindness to decide who can and can't have Jesus. Because I'm just going to take a good bet that if we could go back, ask the disciples about Saul... Can Saul be an apostle? No. Mm-mm. Do you, you know who that is, right? That's how they would have voted in that board meeting, just so you know. Because hmm. they didn't understand. They didn't understand. And then there's this other guy that was in this story that you can go and pick up and read. So, so Saul goes on into Damascus. So the changes happen. Ananias has helped him uh, fully receive Christ. He's been baptized. And he goes on into Damascus with a new mission. Right? And this is an interesting thing. Some people are scared to follow Jesus because, oh, he's going to wreck my life. He's going to change. Saul still was headed in the same direction. He just had a new purpose now. A new purpose. And so he went in and people are amazed. Verse 21, if you have your Bible, it says, when people began to hurt, because here's the deal, he took a little time and then he just immediately began to preach who Jesus was. So he goes into Damascus. Remember, he has a piece of paper that says, when I go in the synagogue, if I find anybody, I can arrest them. Because if they believe in Jesus, he's not the real Messiah. But now, he's in those same synagogues and he's preaching to them. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. And people are amazed at what they're hearing. They know who he is. And they say, verse 21, isn't this the same man who caused such devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? And didn't he come here to arrest them and take them in chains to the leading priest? So they knew him and knew what he was supposed to be doing, and that's not what he's doing. And it was confusing them. And in fact, finally, some of the Jews gather up a plan to, to kill him, and he winds up having to run for his life out of the, the city, right? And then we see Barnabas down here because he goes to Jerusalem. Now, I want to give you a little perspective of how, when you read your Bible, how to, how to investigate things. 
Because in verse 23, it says, after a while, some Jews plotted to kill him, and that's when he left and he went to Jerusalem. You have to go over to, um, I think it's Galatians, where he will give a better account of that. And that after a while, now what's after a while to you? What's a while in Arkansas terms? Three days, a week, maybe even a month. Sometimes a while is like an ish. It covers a whole lot, right? Three years. This was a three-year period. Because actually, when you look at his other account, he tells that he actually goes away for a year into Arabia. And this is kind of important to understand because when we come to Christ, we need to have a moment where we grow in Christ. And that's why, like, on the district, when we are... um, interviewing candidates for their license, they have to have a little bit of growth under them before we will give that license to them. You need that time of of growth because everything in his world just changed. And what does the Bible tell us? That we need to renew our minds, right? So he goes off for about a year and then he comes back to Damascus, does some more preaching, and that's when he ticks them off, and they run him out of town. So a three-year period before he takes off to Jerusalem. So he goes to Jerusalem, and he wants to meet with the apostles and the other believers there. And, of course, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. No. (laughs) We know who you are. Church, three years, and his reputation is still alive and well of what he used to be. You see, we get offended sometimes when people remind us of what we used to be. That's just how life works. People don't forget when we've hurt people and we've done things. But God does. But God does. And I'm so thankful for Barnabas because it says, then Barnabas brought him to the apostles and told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus And how the Lord had spoken to Saul. And he also told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. In other words, Barnabas stood up to say, this is how Saul has changed. There are two people in this story that sometimes we overlook how important they are. Ananias and Barnabas. Yes, Jesus spoke straight to Saul, right? And made a change in him. But it was Ananias who obeyed and came up and said, Hey, I know God's working in your life. And he helped to lead him through the rest of that change. And then Barnabas came at a moment in his life where they still didn't believe he had changed. Three years we're, we're such an impatient society these days. We run to that altar and walk away and think everybody should just treat us like we are brand new. Now they still remember who you were. And three years later, they still remember who you were. You know, and, I, and I've shared with you before uh, about the one that knew me in college and she about dropped the cake at Rochelle's wedding when she heard somebody call me a pastor and whoop, you're a what? And that was a lot of more years than three years after college. 
but she remembers those days, right? So, yes, Jesus approached Saul to where he knew who Jesus was, but what if Ananias had disobeyed? What if Barnabas had not stood up for him? Because I know as a human, we get discouraged. And it's easy to say, I can't do this. Who were the Ananias and Barnabas in your life? Think on that for a little bit this week. I want you to kind of go back in the, the recesses of your mind and think, who was my Ananias? Who came along in those early years that did disciple me? And then who has been the Barnabas, the encourager? Because I guarantee you, if, if he'd have went and, and the apostles said, no, we don't want to talk to him, believers say, no, we know, you know, because they're still thinking he could be up to something, right? He's just trying to infiltrate us. But Barnabas stood up for him. And we all have encouragers in our life, and sometimes it's different people at different times. Here's my other question. Who are you and Ananias for? But Lord... Mm -mm. We're all disciples of Christ. We're all called to be obedient. Who are you and Ananias that you will go and say, hey, this is what God spoke. I know he's working in your life. Can we talk about that? Who are you a Barnabas for? Oh, we, we, we can tear people down real fast, real easy. Just a couple of on the phone. But who are you encouraging? Who are you standing for and going, you know, I know they were this. But let me tell you what I've seen in their life. And praise God, they're not where they should be yet. But they're getting there. They're getting there. Because you can make or break a person's spiritual health sometimes when they just need somebody to hold them up maybe just today <laughs> it's a bad day today right because the enemy did not want Saul to be a chosen instrument of God the enemy knew the danger of that because now a whole lot of the rest of this New Testament we're reading is from who? From Paul. But he had to have an Ananias and he had to have a Barnabas in his life to help him overcome. Jesus, you know, he did the hard stuff. He broke the blindness. He opened his heart up. Maybe some of you this morning, you've got blindness. You've never acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today's the day. Don't leave here without saying yes to Jesus. And I promise you'll leave here a changed person. But then when that happens, church, we need to be an Ananias next to somebody. We need to, when you see somebody, if they come to this, come pray with them. Come pray with them. Doesn't mean you have to, to actually speak and interrupt their prayer time, but sometimes just the feel of somebody's hand next to you lets you know that you have a family with you. That you're covered in prayer. That you speak the name of Jesus over them.
Maybe somebody that has dropped rocks in. You saw somebody walk up here. Maybe you need to pray with them today before we leave of just encouraging them. Be a Barnabas. Ask them if there's something you can pray with them with as a prayer partner. Stand with me this morning. Lord, I feel like there are, there are a lot of scales on our eyes today. That, Father, we have so many prejudices and, and opinions and, Lord, our own mission in this life. And maybe today is about surrendering all of that. Lord, I just pray for your Holy Spirit right now to walk through this room, dropping the scales off the eyes and the hearts of your people. So that we begin to see people through your eyes. That we know what they've done, Lord, but... We know they are still a broken and hurting people that just need Jesus. And Father, I know that there are so many prayer requests in this room that they're at their wits end. They don't know what to do. Like they don't know anything else left to do. So we speak the name of Jesus. That in those circumstances, Lord, where nothing else will convince them, may the voice of Jesus be heard by them. That God, may their their hearts break open right now to feel your all-knowing presence with them. But God, may it be a moment of complete surrender and freedom and release from everything they're struggling with this morning. We speak the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for your spirit to embolden us today. I'm I'm calling for the Ananias and the Barnabases in this room to be bold this week. God, as our, our teachers and our students and our workers go back to school this week, we are praying peace over these campuses. We are praying for protection over these campuses. And God, I pray that your spirit will give a freshness and a, just a revival of their hearts, that this is a call. Kathy said it's a call, and it is. Because every day that one of these workers walks through that door, Jesus goes on to that campus. May these teachers see with your eyes Those students, Lord, that can grate the last nerve, may we see them through your eyes, Father. That they need love. They need a place of consistency and safety because we don't know what's going on in their home life. And God, may these teachers and these workers, may they make a difference for you on these campuses. May they be an Ananias or a Barnabas, to their co-workers, Lord, when they need lifting up. I speak the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you. And I thank you, Jesus, that this reminds me today in Saul's story, you didn't leave us or forsake us. You are still changing hearts today. And I thank you when I wasn't chasing you, you found me anyway. Lord, we love you. And may we leave here today with a fresh look on our face that people will know 
that we have something they want. A hope and a peace that the world cannot give us. And may we be a blessing because we've been blessed. In Jesus' name and all of God's people together said, Amen. Church family, I love you. Have a wonderful day with your friends and family. But go be a blessing because you have been blessed today. Good day. Hey, I hope you received exactly what you needed from that message. If you want to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook, YouTube, or you can always find us in person if you're in the area. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can find us on Tithely. Thank you to those who support our church. I hope you will subscribe and join us on the next one. And remember, you are loved.